Good morning. Today's scripture is Mark 1, 14 through 20. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. As Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you, a, make you fish for people. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, who were in their boat mending the nets. Immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. So the text this morning from Mark is actually the first time we hear from G- we hear Jesus speak in the Gospel of Mark. And Jesus says, come on, it's okay. Better hurry, though. They're heading out. <laughs> you got to go get them. <laughs> you got to go with them upstairs. I like that, though. You can stay there and listen to me if you want. <laughs> want to get a better view, I guess. <laughs> anyway, what was I saying? This is the first time we hear from Jesus uh, in the Gospel of Mark. And Jesus says, the kingdom of God has come near. Now is the time. It's, it's happening now. Repent and believe. And what prompted Jesus to start talking was that John got arrested. John had been going around talking about repenting and believing. And the kingdom of God was coming. And the kingdom of God was at hand. But Jesus, after John is arrested, says, No, the kingdom of God has been fulfilled. Or all things have been fulfilled. The time is fulfilled. And the kingdom of God has drawn near and is here. Now is the time. Repent and believe. And then he proceeds to round up fishermen and tells them they're going to get a new job, a new profession. They're on a new career path. Similar to a lot of our folks have uh, had that same thing happen to them uh, over the last few years too. So Jesus is talking about this kingdom of God thing in Mark. And what's, what's odd about that is that Jesus was already part of a kingdom. He was a part of Herod's kingdom. Herod the Great had come into the throne of Israel or, or Palestine at the time. Was, it wasn't called Israel, but basically over the Hebrew people. Herod was... In fact, labeled Herod the Great, King of the Jews. And the reason Herod got to be King of the Jews was because he helped Caesar when the, when the, Parthian, the Parthian War was going on, and he rounded up a bunch of people and uh, went to war with Caesar. And so Caesar rewarded him by making him King of the Jews. And Herod wanted to be a good king. He wanted to reach out to his people, and he started a great campaign to build wonderful 
monuments and wonderful palaces. He built Caesar a palace, but he also renovated the temple. He kind of rebuilt a whole temple. They didn't want to stop doing services at the temple. And so really what Jesus or what Herod did is build over the top of the temple that we we hear about in in Ezra's writings, uh, Ezra and Nehemiah were after the exile. They built a rather humble temple. It wasn't really it wasn't really anything to write home about. It was it was a humble temple, but it got the job done. And uh, Herod said, you know, Yahweh deserves a magnificent temple. And in, and Herod the Great set to work on on this incredible temple. And he kind of built over the top of Ezra's temple and uh, built around it and these great, beautiful facades and these these wonderful architectures and this, the most magnificent thing was the courtyards and the colonnades that went around, uh, which were still being constructed in the time of Jesus, even after Herod's death, when they divided up the kingdom into what they call tetrarchs, because uh, Herod didn't really care for any of his sons and uh, so he divided up the kingdom and spread it out among the three of them, Herod Antipas, uh, Philip, and uh, some other guy whose name I can't remember. Uh, <laughs> and they divided up the, uh, uh, the Palestinian world and continued Herod's kingdom. Jesus already lived in a kingdom. He lived in, the, uh, he lived in an empire, in fact, the empire of Rome which was headed by Caesar. And everyone was happy. Nobody, nobody bothered the Jewish people under the leadership of Herod Antipas or, or Philip or the other guy. No one bothered them as long as they paid their taxes and kept the peace. The problem was is that both of these kingdoms relied on two things. Rome relied on domination and military victory. And Herod relied on religious oppression. Right? Herod relied on the priests who kept people at bay through religion. He kept them, he kept them uh, kind of cornered off and made them available for exploitation by telling them that this was God's will. That the priests had power and that God had empowered those priests to tell them what to do. And one of the things they had to do was give the temple a lot of money. And they dutifully did that, but in doing so, they found themselves in poverty because they also had to pay Rome. They also had to pay Herod and they had to pay their temple tax. Until pretty soon they lost their land, they lost their livelihood, and they were city folks who were very poor. And all the wealth and all the power was in the hands of a few elite. Herod, who had inherited this kingdom given to him by Caesar, not by God. And the priests who were appointed by Herod and Caesar and the Roman magistrates, not by God but because they owed some allegiance to Caesar. And because if they were a priest, a high priest, you could get rich. They were rich already, but they always wanted to get richer. Sounds, sounds like the world we live in sometimes, doesn't it? 
Which is why Jesus came around talking about a very different kind of kingdom. We don't live in a kingdom. We live in a republic or loosely democracy, I guess. <laughs> we, we have not experienced what it is to live in a kingdom. And so to say that Jesus is fulfilling, is, is declaring, is calling into being, is heralding and living out the kingdom of God is a little bit of a foreign concept for us. But when Jesus said that the kingdom of God is near, it was meant to be a contrast to the Roman Empire and to the kingdom that Herod had set up, which was these beautiful edifices that, of course, were built on the, on the backs of slaves who were indebted and who were poor. And they looked wonderful until you look at it through the lens of the oppression that built them. And Jesus looked through the lens of that oppression and said, this is not the kingdom that God envisioned. This is not a temple of Yahweh. This is a temple of Herod. The temple of Yahweh is something else. The kingdom of God is something else. The republic of God, the democracy of God, the country, the commonwealth is something completely different. It is a place where God is the head and we are the subjects. Or better yet, in our, in our desire for an equitable flat system, God is that which holds us all together and gives us equal voice. God is the one who, who manifests a commonwealth where every life matters. God's kingdom, God's country, God's republic, God's parliament is one where love abounds and it is not squashed by personal interest or personal gain, but a place where every life counts and every voice is heard. A place where one person's prosperity isn't had at the expense of someone else. The kingdom of God is a place where when the race is run, victory goes to those who get everybody across the line. Not who comes in first. It's who helps everybody get across that finish line. Amen? The kingdom, in other words, the kingdom of God is a very different place. And Jesus went out of his way to talk about it in terms that confounded, you know, the world we lived in. The kingdom of God is a place where the first are last and the last are first. The kingdom of God is a place where the, those who are mourning are comforted. The kingdom of God is a place where those who have will have not and those who don't will have. It's all messed up where the servants are exalted and those who are lifted up are made low. It's a mixed up world. And Jesus talks about it in those terms to point out how, how much, uh, how, how different the world we live in is to the world God desires.
And so when Jesus, and there's a lot of, there's a, thousands of years of, uh, of talk about what that kingdom exact, what Jesus means by kingdom of God. And there's a lot of different things, but I, I prefer to call what we call in the biz a, uh, I, I, I espouse, if you will, and I'm, I'm telling, I'm tipping my hand. I'm giving you a version of things. There are other versions out there, <laughs> but I'm giving you a version that in the biz we call realized eschatology. And what that means is that, that the, Jesus says the kingdom of God is here. It's already here, and we just need to grab it. We just need to catch that vision and live into it, lean into it, grab onto it, live it out. Be the kingdom of God that Jesus describes. Now, uh, for much of the last hundred years or so, a lot of folks have, have talked about the kingdom of God as being something that comes later, after the second coming, or the kingdom of God as something that you, you experience when you go to heaven. But in what I'm describing as realized eschatology, it means the kingdom of God is something we live out here and now. It's something that says, when, in my opinion, when Jesus says the kingdom of God has drawn near and the time is fulfilled, basically what Jesus says is there's nothing else to wait for. You've been waiting. People have been waiting, waiting for the Messiah, waiting for the prophet, waiting for the king, waiting for the army. They were waiting when the Babylonians came in and dragged them off. They were waiting when the Assyrians came in and assimilated them into their culture and wiped out the northern kingdom. They were waiting when the Maccabees came in, or the, the, the Meabites. I can't remember them. The, I can't remember what name it is. But they were waiting when all these uh, countries came through and, and subjugated the people. And they were waiting when the Greeks came in, the Macedonians, and they were waiting when Rome took over. And Jesus stood up and said, stop waiting. <laughs> the kingdom of God is now. The time is now. Now, I can understand why people were skeptical because Jesus got killed. <laughs> he didn't ascend the throne. He was not the king in the kingdom of God, as one would think. Herod was still king. Pilate had him killed. Rome went on for another couple hundred years. But what Jesus was conveying is that the kingdom of God is here for us to take, to realize, to live out to become and to make his point Jesus was killed but Jesus rose from the dead amen on the third day life was breathed into that idea once more on the third day the kingdom of God drew near again and everyone's effort to squash it out failed amen Oh, yes, the kingdom of God has drawn near, and no one's going to stop it except us. 2,000 years later, we're still sometimes waiting to see what's going to happen, waiting for something, 
waiting to realize God's deepest desires for us. I think once again, Jesus says, the kingdom of God is near. The time is fulfilled. And the time is now. And here in this short little passage, Jesus gives us uh, some of the formula for what that means for us to live into the kingdom of God, to, to, to herald it in and to lift it up and to become a part of it and to transform. And this is really what it's about. Transform our society into the society of God. Amen. And Jesus says, repent. Now, repent is one of those churchy words that kind of, you know, we're liberal Baptists. We don't really, we don't really like that kind of talk, you know, uh, as if something's wrong with us, right? We don't want to, we don't want to, we don't want to make anyone feel bad. So, you know, I want to affirm who you are, but repent is what Jesus calls us to. So we got to deal with that word repent. And really what repent means, it means to turn away from your old ways and move towards something else. Turn away and move towards something else. What Jesus is saying is, repent. Turn away from Herod's kingdom. Turn away. You weren't welcome there anyway, quite frankly. Turn away. Repent from all of that. Repent from from the oppression that your religious leaders, the Jewish aristocracy at the time, were imposing on you. They tell you that you have to go to the temple to receive forgiveness. Jesus hands out forgiveness willy-nilly, wholesale. He's giving it away. Oh, you need, you need to be healed? Your sins are forgiven. Go and sin no more. Oh, you're an adulteress? Get up. Walk. You're, go away. Your sins are forgiven. You're, go sin no more. Oh, you're bleeding? That's okay. Your sins are forgiven. Go. Out in the streets. You don't know how crazy that was to the religious authorities at the time. You don't just hand out forgiveness. You don't just hand it out. You got to go buy a dove or a ram if you got some real money. <laughs> and you got to go through the whole process. And you got to give some money to the priests. You got to get dressed up. So you got to buy some nice clothes, right? All these things you got to do. Jesus is just giving it away. Jesus says, you know what? All that nonsense is getting between you and God. Repent and move in a different direction toward the kingdom of God. Believe the good news. You know, I think for some sometimes I look back on the 2,000 years that we have been following Christ, and I think it's really a failure of imagination. It's really a failure on our part to, to, to have the kind of imagination that dares to think, to even conceive, to leave room for and be open to God's ability to transform the world and people. I think, in our, honestly, if we're honest with ourselves, I think in our heart of hearts, we look around and we go, it's never going to change. It's always going to be like this. We, sometimes we look at people and we go, they're never going to change. They're always going to be like that. 
Why bother? Why bother? And we, we lack imagination. People dare to believe the good news. Believe the good news. And the good news, there's so much of it. You need your sins forgiven? You need, are you feeling guilty? You're feeling shame? You're feeling the weight of everything that you've done wrong and everyone has been telling you you've been doing it wrong? You know what? You're forgiven. Stand up. Take your mat. Go get a job. <laughs> and, and by job, I mean a kingdom of God job. <laughs> right? Go. Live your life to the fullest. Be forgiven. Let the weight of that go. Jesus is giving it away, like I said before. The good news. The, the, the Believe the good news that through dying to your old self and raising again to something new, you get a do-over. There's always time for a new beginning. Amen? That's a, that's a slogan of a church up in Seattle, that, uh, one of our sister churches, New Beginnings Church. Always, God's always ready for a new beginning. Amen? And believe that God is at work in the world and can transform lives and the world around us. And I think maybe what's even harder to believe, the good news is that God is empowering you through the Holy Spirit to be an agent of that change. Amen. God is empowering you with every and equipping you with everything you need. Can you imagine? Do you dare open yourself up to the possibility that there is something more going on here than just what we have the strength and the knowledge and the intellect to make happen? That God, using me, using you, using us, using them, can make the world into this kingdom of God. Repent. Believe. Right? That is, turn away from all the crud and imagine that there's something better. Then Jesus says, go, he leaves the temple area, he goes, finds all these fishermen, says, Come, follow me. Follow. It's all these action words. Repent, believe, follow. Jesus, what's great about Jesus is that Jesus is. The, is basically the what we call the incarnation in church talk. But the fullness of God is lived out in Jesus' life. In other words, when we look at Jesus, it's as if God is saying, this is what I meant. This is what I meant by all that. All that stuff in the Old Testament, this is what I meant right here. Watch, G Watch what Jesus does. That's what I meant. You know, a more negative way to look at that is be like, can't, why can't you be more like Jesus? <laughs> right? What's wrong with you people? Why can't you be like your brother Jesus? Right? Your mom, we have a mom like that. Right? Can't, why can't you be like your brother Jesus? Can you imagine James growing up in Jesus' household? James, why can't you be like Jesus? I don't know. So, <laughs> uh, it's as if God is saying, just watch what Jesus does. This is what I meant. You know, compassion for those who are left out and needy. Love for the poor. Healing. Bringing wholeness back to the world. Speaking truth to power. Not abiding those who would use their power to exploit. And being willing to die for it. When Mark 
says, take up your, in, when the gospel of Mark says, take up your cross and follow me, Jesus' cross was something he carried to his death. They nailed him to it. And Mark is not kidding. Mark is saying, pick up your cross and follow Jesus to death. Now, if we're lucky, it becomes metaphorical, <laughs> right? But it becomes, but several, Mark was thinking literally. But what Mark is really talking about is that the path to life is through death. It's through dying to all those old things and rising to something new. It's to f take up your cross and follow Jesus into death and new life, resurrected life. And, if, and the final thing that Jesus talks about today is go fishing, right? Come follow me and I'll have you fish for people. I'm going to make you fish for people. And, and what that means is, I, I, I'll, it's easier to say what that doesn't mean. What that doesn't mean is go knocking on your neighbor's door and tell them you're from First Baptist Church. Please don't do that. Nobody wants that. Don't do that. And what that doesn't mean is uh, start yelling at people and hand them a, a prayer that they're supposed to pray. You know, if they do it before they die, they're good, right? It's nothing like that. What that does mean is that we live a life that's invitational that we are not and, and it's really it's really about we think it's about them <laughs> you know this is this is where evangelicals have kind of we've lost our way right we evangelicals have always thought it's about them right but really it's about us <laughs> it's about living in a way that makes room for everyone else Amen? It means living out our faith in a way that does not exclude other people, but makes room for them in the kingdom of God, at the banquet table, which is another description of the kingdom of God. It means living, oh, leaving that empty chair available for anyone to come and sit into. It means that our church is a church that is always figuring out how can we make ourselves accessible to those who are left out and outside. It means not, not closing off and holding on and keeping everything to ourselves. It means opening it up and making sure we are living in a way that invites and makes room for everyone else. Well, that's a different kind of evangelism, isn't it? a different kind of evangelism but that's really what that's about and what that means is that you know when peter's looking around he's not picking like i'm gonna i'm gonna catch that fish and i'm gonna catch that fish i'm gonna catch that fish oh no he's just opening up the net and fish are jumping in <laughs> and he takes them as they come even even judas jumped in there even tax collectors, even other fishermen that he was probably in competition with, right? <laughs> people he liked and people he didn't like. Uh, Ethiopian eunuch, who saw that coming, right? People you didn't really associate with. You know, uh, in those days, um, hanging out with a eunuch, it was someone whose gender was kind of questionable, 
right? They were kind of, you couldn't really identify their gender. You weren't really, I'm talking about a story in Acts. I shouldn't go off on these things. I'm talking about a story in Acts and an Ethiopian eunuch is reading Isaiah and Peter comes along, I'm sorry, Philip comes along and, and invites, uh, uh, gives him a, the story of Christ and then baptizes him into the church. Someone who was kind of suspect and pushed to the margins, this Ethiopian eunuch. We don't get to pick the fish. We just leave room for the fish. Amen? Amen. The call today that comes to us from Mark, Jesus' very first words, very first words in the Gospel of Mark, the kingdom of God is near, and to get it, repent, believe, follow me, go fishing. As we live out what it is to be a church, we are called to do the same. Some 2,000 years later, we are still living into the kingdom of God that Jesus declared to be here already. We have everything we need to make it happen. It is our destiny to fulfill that calling to repent, believe, follow, and fish. Let us pray. Loving and gracious God, thank you for this calling. We thank you that we live in the kingdom of God, that we are not citizens of this world, but of a different place that you have prepared, that you lived out, that you left for us to fulfill. May we do it with joy. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.